All right, if you've got your Bible, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2, I believe is where we're at, ain't it? Revelation chapter 2. And um, verse 1. Verse 1. And we'll go ahead and read through the first two churches tonight. <clears throat> Just uh, through, I think, Ephesus and Smyrna is what we'll try to cover tonight. And um, that's my goal. Is I actually wanted to try to cover a chapter a night, but in order to do that, I would have had to cover four churches tonight, and I just knew, you know, come on. That's not realistic. So, um, And I'm not trying to just rush through it either, but um, most of y'all have already been through this once. And Does any of it sound familiar to any of you? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, Not, not to some? All right. So uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through... 11. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Alright, so tonight somebody give me just a little bit of context of um, how we got here. Uh, somebody give me some purposes of why, why we are studying Revelations or Revelation. What's one purpose of why we're studying Revelation? What are we looking for in this? Alright, so to, to, to see Jesus revealed in a way that, that maybe we haven't seen Him before, right? Alright, what's another reason why we um, study Revelations and what we can expect to get from it? Do what? Okay, so the things that he sees right now, and that's what we're getting into in the churches. All right, what were you going to say, G? 
prepares for what to come. That's right. He said to show His servants the things that must soon take place. And so we're looking for things that must soon take place. We're looking for Jesus in a way that maybe we haven't seen Him. We're just looking for a revelation of Jesus anywhere we see it. And we want to know, what does this tell us about Jesus when we see it here? All right? What else? Anybody else have another um, reason why we study this book? There you go. Promised blessing. So a promised blessing in the ones who read it, promised blessing for everybody who hears it, and a promised blessing for everybody who keeps the words that are written in this book. So there is a blessing that comes with this. All right, with that context, somebody give me an observation of chapter 2, verse 1. Just tell me... A general observation. You say, okay, I see this in this verse. He's talking to the church. To the church. Okay. And how do you see that? He's talking about the lampstands. And that was in the chapter before. Okay. Before well, and the lampstands were what? The church. That's right. All right. So, so an observation you're making right there is this is written by the one, and here's the way I would put it, it's written, these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and the one who walks around the seven golden lampstands. And tell me what that means. What, what does it mean to hold the seven stars in his right hand? What were the seven stars? Okay. And the lampstands, you correct, the stars. What was the difference in the stars and the lampstands? The messengers. Some believe it may have been a particular angel that was over church. I tend to fall more in line of, and you look at all of the way that Jesus did it ever since he came. Did Jesus send angels to build the foundation of the church? Who did he send? Apostles and prophets, correct? And so he's always used men as messengers to his church. And so I believe again here, whenever we interpret this word, even though the word is called angelos, which uh, we get the word angel, but that's the same word that it was used when it was talking about John the Baptist going before Jesus as a messenger. Same exact word. They called John the Baptist an angelos. There were, there were, every time in the Word of God where you see a messenger being sent from God, it uses this same word. Sometimes it's an actual... Um, angelic being, many times it is a human being. But it's the same word that simply means messenger. And so here's what I see in that right there. The observation is this. Jesus holds seven messengers in His hand, in His right hand. I would take that personally to mean that you better listen to what He has to say. That's the way I would take that. And so I would say to, that we need to understand that this is a sort of like an introduction that helps bring some seriousness to it. And then not only that, but he walks among the seven golden lampstands. And as Donnie said just a minute ago, I believe this shows his authority in the church, but I believe it also shows his, um, what? his presence. That's a good word for it. His presence or his even his... Um, inspection of the churches, I guess you would say. So you could look at it and you could say the context of this would be, or the observation we made is that 
It's to the messenger of the church in Ephesus, right? So that's le- this letter is first being delivered to a messenger, right? This messenger is getting it, the words from the one who is holding the, right, the stars in his right hand, walking among the lampstands in the church. And so we get a note of seriousness here. What you're going to notice is every introduction to every one of these churches ties back to part of the vision that he saw in chapter 1. So Ephesus sees the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and he walks among the seven gold lampstands. That's, that's important because I believe that when you start reading Ephesus, you're going to see that they were a church that they had a lot of things going for them. They were a pretty solid church. But they had to understand something. There was one walking among them that saw deeper than just the surface. And I believe that that's why he introduced this letter the way that he did, is for them to understand you better listen to this message because how easy would it be if you are, I'm talking about mature in your doctrine. I mean, you, and when we start talking about the church of Ephesus, somebody give me some context church of Ephesus. Who started it? Anybody know? Huh? Paul helped establish it. Aquila and Priscilla started it. Paul came in, spent three years with them, actually trying to establish, taught this church. Go with me to Acts chapter 20, I believe it is. Hold your spot right there in Revelation. Go to Acts chapter 20. Verse... um, Start in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Now this was Paul, okay? And when they came to him, now who come to him? Who is this? The elders from where? Alright, so this is the leaders of that church, right? He said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. But here's the point that I'm trying to get to you. What did Paul just tell these Ephesian elders. Well, basically, sum up what he what he just said. You've seen what I've done. All right. Alright. <laughs> what else did Paul say in that? Alright. That's right. That's right. Alright, anybody else? All right, so they've seen the, the man who could stand before people and say, imitate me. <laughs> That's a pretty solid dude, right? Imitate me. 
All right, what else do you see in that verse? What else did Paul tell them? Thank you. Paul spent enough time with them that there was nothing that he didn't teach them. He spent, he didn't just spend, you know, I get an hour on Sunday and an hour on Wednesday with you. That's basically what we get. Paul said, I met with you week to week in the, in the synagogues and house to house. In other words, basically every day Paul was teaching these guys something. And for three years, every day, he didn't hold nothing back that was profitable to them. So this church was a solid church. No other church had what, what the apostle, what the church in Ephesus had. Um, every other church that we read about was an offshoot from Ephesus church. The three years that Paul spent there, when you go back and read Acts, what you find out is that all these other churches came as a result of what Paul was doing in Ephesus. And they were offshoots from it. And so we see here, basically one of the things you see in here is that Apostle Paul taught, trained the elders for three years. We can also go and find that Timothy was the teaching pastor that Paul left there when he went to Jerusalem to leave. So... Paul's son in the faith, the guy that walked with Paul everywhere he went on all his missionary journeys, learned with him everywhere, he was the one that was left to be the teaching pastor. And then after that, we know that Paul wrote doctrinal letters to him. I mean, look at the book of, of Ephesians. Paul wrote doctrinal letters to him, answering any questions that they had. And then after that, the apostle John was the pastor of Ephesus in his later years. Actually, it is believed, and you're going to see here in a minute uh, why I'm going to talk about this here in a minute, but tradition says that after, Paul, after John got off the Isle of Patmos, you know where he went? Ephesus. And that's where he spent his remaining days. He, he was the pastor over Ephesus until he just couldn't pastor anymore. And we'll read a little bit more about that here in a little while. But anyway, go back to Revelations. The point, I've, I've made my point. This is a solid church, doctrinally sound. And how hard do you think it is for anyone to stand in front of them and teach them something? Let's be honest. When you know it all, guess what? <laughs> and so I really believe that one of the reasons Jesus gives this introduction, and I could be wrong on this, but I don't think I am, I believe that what Jesus is saying is, I'm sending a messenger to you with a message with my words. He's in my right hand. He has my words. You better listen. And the words are coming from the one that's walking among you. And while you may think you've got it all together, I see things that you don't see. Because let me tell you something. When we think we're at the top of our game, that's when Jesus steps in and lets us know. You remember what Peter said? If everybody leaves you, what did Peter say? I will die with you. And then Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, Peter. <laughs> That's right, Peter, Peter. And so we, we, we got to understand that, that this is a church that had it going on. Let's see where we see that at in verse 2. Notice what Jesus says. First thing we start off with is a, Jesus commends them. All right. So first thing he says, I know your works. What's the significance of that right there? He knows everything. 
Again, he's the one that walks through the churches, right? Inspects them. First thing he says, I know. I know your works. I know your toll. That toll means hard labor to the point of exhaustion. This was a working church, all right? This wasn't a church where we come in and we sit on our pews and we do a little something, then we go. This was a working church. Labor to the point of exhaustion. I know your patient endurance. They're having to endure hardships and yet they're patiently enduring. I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. What does that tell you about them? We've already mentioned it tonight. What does that tell you about them? If they, can, if they can have a Nick King or Kevin Wells stand up here and preach to them, they can go, <laughs> you're missing it, buddy. That means they've got some things figured out, right? And so Jesus says, I know. I know all these things about you. I know that you're a hard worker. I know that you labor hard. I know that you are patiently enduring through trials. I know that you are doctrinally sound to the point that you can spot a false teacher like that. And I know, verse 3, I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. What does that tell you about them? They're serious about about standing up for the, for, for the things of the Lord, ain't they? Alright? And you have not grown weary. That tells you something about them too. They're laboring to the point of exhaustion. They're calling out false teachers left and right. They are bearing up, patiently enduring, for the Lord's name's sake, but they ain't growing weary. That's a pretty good con uh, uh, commendation, right? Man, I'd take that. I'd take that. But what's that next word in verse 4? So here we have the one walking among the lampstands, and he says very plainly, I see some things that you're not seeing. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at First. Now some versions translate this, you have abandoned, you have left your first love. I like this translation. When you go back and study the Greek, you can actually see why. I like the way they shape it here because I believe it should be translated that you have abandoned the love you had at first. It could, you could understand it both ways. But what do you think he's talking about here? When you look around this verse, and so, so what is the thing you see just previous to this verse? All right. That's right. And bearing up for the name of Jesus. So, the, uh, do, do you really think that honestly that they necessarily are lacking in their love for, for, for Jesus? All right. Because so so, how should we translate this to understand what it is that he has against them? What does it mean to abandon the love that you had at first? Huh? For each other? Possibly. And, uh, and you just hit the two main interpretations of this verse right here. I believe they go hand in hand. But some people say it just means that they have, um, 
they have replaced their love for works and for doing things. I don't believe that's the case. Well, I think it's, it's both. And I think Tommy hit it when he said their love for each other. Because I, I, I want you to think, I want, the last time I preached this, I talked to you, I think about, um, you, you remember we talked about the honeymoon phase. The honeymoon phase. Somebody tell me what the honeymoon phase is. Or the, or the beginning of the relationship phase. When you first start dating. Somebody. All right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and you hide all your flaws too, right? I mean, we're... All right. And then, but as time goes by and the honeymoon phase ends, what happens? You see everything, bro. All right. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was the honeymoon phase. All right. So, but... The honey, you think about the honeymoon phase, it is also applicable to the church as well. How many times have you seen people come into the church and they, they get excited about it and they're on fire? Come on, this is all of us too, all right? This is all of us. And we're all about it and, we, and we're all about serving and the people and everything about it. And then somewhere along the line, the, the honeymoon phase ends. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You come in here, I, I can remember, I mentioned this two years ago, but I can remember when I first met Lauren Bishop. When I first met Lauren, I had never seen her before, but she came in and she sat down right over there where she still sits today. And we were holding a job fair, all right? And now we needed some ministries filled. And basically we just wanted people to know what options there were out there, places for you to serve. Well, I had never met Lauren Bishop before. She just so happened to show up that is when we was having Sunday night services. And she showed up that night, and I had a sign-up sheet for all these ministries, and after it was over, guess whose name was on 90% of those ministries? Lauren Bishop. Never seen the woman before. Didn't know anything about her. But she signed up for everything. And I'm talking about I had to slow her down and back her off because we didn't know who she was, and we had to get to know her a little bit first, you know. But then it wasn't long, there she was. She's on this and she's on this and she's serving on this and on this and on this and. And so you come in here with that excitement, and I've seen so many people do that. But then somewhere along the line, you start seeing people's flaws. You didn't see them when you first come in. Oh, it was a perfect church when you first come in, right? And then somewhere along the line, the flaws started coming out. And you started seeing the, uh, the things that bothered you a little bit. And then next thing you know, you have some um, ill feelings toward certain ones. And, and that love that you had at first is not there anymore. Read, read on with me if you would at verse uh, 5. And let's see if you think I'm interpreting correctly. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. So they've quit doing something, right? And here's what he wants them to do. Repent. Turn around and what? Do the works what? So he's specifically talking about something that they used to do, right? And now they're not doing it anymore. And so what he has in this right here is a um, condemnation against them to say, listen, there was a time whenever you 
whenever you had a genuine love for your brothers and sisters in Christ and you just served them. You know, you, you, were, you were there to, to love your brother. You remember that was what Jesus' command was, was that um, lo, lo, love one another. For by this all men will know that you are my disciples. Remember earlier I told you that um, tradition says that whenever Paul was released from the Isle of Patmos that he became the pastor at Ephesus? All right. John, I'm sorry. John, that's right. Listen to this story that Jerome tells. Real short, we'll take just a minute. But listen to the story that Jerome tells. Jerome was, a, um, I think, a, either a third or a fourth century church father. And this was a tradition that is handed down about, about the apostle John as he got older and wasn't able to do anymore. But he was in Ephesus. So it says, <clears throat> In John's extreme old age at Ephesus, he used to be carried into the congregation in the arms of his disciples and was unable to say anything except little children love one another. Now you think about it. When you go back and you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, I mean that makes a lot of sense, right? That's what his whole ministry was about. Love one another. So here he is. He's up in age. He can't even walk on his own. He has to be carried in the arms of the disciples into the church. And the only thing he can say is whenever a word of exhortation is supposed to come from uh, the senior pastor of the church and he's just not able to do it anymore, he just says one thing. Little children, let us love one another. At last, the people were wearied that he always spoke the same words. And they asked him, Master, why do you always say this? And he replied, Because it is the Lord's command, and if this only is done, it is enough. So, the point that I see in this is that Jesus is plainly, I believe, saying that the works that you used to do are the works that you did toward one another and the way you ministered to one another and the way you serve one another. And now you're still doctrinally sound. You're still uh, preaching the gospel. You're still bearing up persecution for my name's sake. And you're still a solid church as far as teaching and doctrine goes. But as far as love for one another goes, you've quit that. That's right. You've, you've stepped away from that. You've, you've got too big for your britches, I guess you could say. And now he stops them and he says, repent, turn around, go back to that. Because, and again, as Melinda said a minute ago, I do believe that it is tied directly to our, our love for Jesus too. Because how many of you know that God said, if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother, something's amiss, right? So the truth of the matter is our love for our brother should be an overflow of God's love toward us, right? Because we experience the love that God has for us, a sinner, flawed individual, <laughs> very flawed. And yet we see the love that God and the grace and the mercy that God keeps giving to us. And that ought to create a humility in us that overflows that to others. So that in their flaws and failures and their disappointments that it causes us to give the same thing to others that God gives to us and we keep serving and we keep loving. And that's what was missing. Now, going back to each and every one of us, I believe most of us have been in church long enough that you've probably seen that stage in your life, right? Where you came in in the honeymoon phase. And here we go. But then somewhere along the line, 
the honeymoon phase is over. And we leave that love that we had at first instead of doing the basics like Nick called it a minute ago. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the reason why he said, what's the first word of verse 5? <laughs> I think that's the, that's the first word of verse 5 for a reason. I think that Jesus calls us to remember. And what are we rem remembering? From where we have fallen, which is that love that we had. In other words, just, just look back and think about that and just remember that. And then I believe that's the first step is we have to remember that. And then the next step is what? Repent. We have, to, we have to turn around. And then what's the last step? Because again, a lot of people would say repenting is what the next step is. But repenting is what? It starts where? Starts in the mind. Repentance is a made up mind to turn around. Now after that is done, what is the next step? Do the works that you did at first. Go back to what you know. Remember it. Go back to what you know you used to do. That's what we get to next, actually. Notice what we have. What, what would you say if you were outlining this and you said, okay, here's uh, first was the, the uh, commendation, then you have the condemnation, then you have the instruction, and now you have what? Well, yeah, the promise. I would say first comes the warning and then the promise, but you're right. But it's a promise. The warning is a promise. <laughs> But what is, what is the promise of the warning here? Ooh. What does that mean? What is the lampstand again? Anybody know anything about the church in Ephesus today? There is not one. That's correct. Our base station in the last combat unit, engineering unit I was in, our ally was in Turkey. That's where we had all our base equipment for all the space. Right. I'm going to tell you what. Those people are, they forgot what John had told them to continue on. They're, they're rough. Yeah. To say the least, that's, that's pretty, pretty good policy. Right. Well, and Ephesus is um, not even a city anymore. The only thing left is the ruins. And so basically, um, we can see that Jesus kept His promise here. Um, that He removed the lampstand from its place unless what? You repent. Unless you repent. So again, you've got, you've got this option right here. And so if you, if you do this, your church stays in place. If not... And as Ms. Kathy said a minute ago, either you are a light, or what good is a light that's hidden under a bushel on a hill? 
And so ultimately, yeah, you've got great teaching, you've got great doctrine, you've got a lot of good things going on in this church. But the most important thing, you, you miss. And I think that, 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 again, that happens to all of us. And so... Right, that's right. Mm-hmm. They had forgotten. Because that's if, you, if, if somebody has to tell you to remember something, why do you have to remember it? Because apparently you have forgotten it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So uh, that was the warning. Now in verse 6, Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So again, he just brings back up the fact that y'all are doctrinally sound. As far as, um, as, far as uh, the way that these other peoples are teaching and doing, I hate that. You stand against it. You know it. You hate it too. But... The fact of the matter is, you're still missing the most important part. Because you remember what um, 1 Corinthians 13 said about... Um, somebody give me some, some quotes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Alright, let's back up a little bit. You got a little ahead of me. Uh, what about the first few verses of it? Um, if I... If I speak in the tongues of men, then what am I? All right. And then what does it say next, Nathan? If I am prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So you see what Jesus is getting at? You can be a solid church. Solid church. Doctrinally sound, have it all together. But if you miss this part, what do you have? Nothing. Nothing. And so again, that's the reason why I love this. Huh? That's right. Well, because the church is made up of individuals. I mean, a man that can sit up and speak tongues, that's a pretty spiritual being. Right. And that's what, that's what Paul is doing in that letter. He's using what they call hyperbole. He is using the most extreme case that you can find. You look at every one of those examples and he starts and say, saying, if you can speak with the tongues of men. And then he pushes the fence out as far as it'll go. Or let's say you can even speak in the tongues of angels, but have not love. Here's what you are. And let's say that you, you um, give, give all you have. And let's say you even give your body to what? To be burned. So again, every one of them, he starts out saying, if you do this good thing, and you even go as far as to do this. So what basically Paul is really trying to stretch this thing out to say, no matter how great 
we are in something, if we lose this, then what do we have? Nothing. So there again, I believe that we can definitively use Scripture to interpret Scripture to say that we have interpreted this correctly, that this is exactly what he's trying to get across. Right. If you stop receiving love, you become just cold. Right. And unable to be what Jesus yeah. wants you to be. And you know, I would keep it I would say here too that it's not just an emotion that he's talking about. You remember when we studied in Hebrews and um, and the writer of Hebrews said, God is not unjust to forget your work of love that you have shown in serving the saints. You remember what he was saying there? In other words, the evidence of a genuine love for each other is just the serving, just the, the serving each other, the way that we're, we're there to, to help each other. So going back to verse uh, to Revelation 2, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So ultimately, in the immediate context, who is this to? All right, But then in the broader scope of things, who is this to? That's right. So this applies to, to all of us. All right, And then we get the promise. What is the promise? In other words, break that down for me. What's he saying? In, keeping it in context, everything we just read, what does it mean to conquer here? To love, to, to, to keep loving one another. Remember what John said, he replied, because it, the reason I keep telling you little children love one another is because it's the Lord's command and if this only is done, it is enough. I love that. If this only is done, it is enough. And so I really see here that what he's saying, the conquering here is that we don't forget the basics of it, that we go back to it. We continue to show our love for each other. We continue to serve one another. And then ultimately, the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life. What does that mean? What does it mean to eat from the tree of life? What is a tree of life? That's right. That's right. Which is in the paradise of God. So there's three promises, or two promises right there. Number one, if you conquer, then I am going to grant you to have everlasting life. And not just everlasting life anywhere, but in the paradise of God is where you will have everlasting life. All right. All right, what does it say? Amen. So there again, I think that we've interpreted this correctly. So what, what would you say? Give me the, summarize the, the interpretation of this for me. Yeah, 
All right. You never, you never know it all. Okay. Keep learning. Mm-hmm. Keep loving. Mm-hmm. One day you'll get there. Okay. Happy when you move to the next thing, don't forget the first thing. There you go. I like it. Yeah. If I yeah. love God right, I will love my brothers and sisters. Right. Loving my brothers and sisters is evidence that I do love them. That's right. All right, if that's the interpretation of it, what's the application of it? Now, how does that apply to you? Yeah. Yeah. So, why is this important to us? I mean, how does it, I mean. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And so we need to, because this is a common problem for every human being, right? then I would say we would be wise to pay attention to this and to remember. Remember where we were. Remember, because uh, I, I like I said, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this, um, especially in the church. But, I mean, you know, folks come in and, um, man, they're on fire. They love the Lord. Can't wait to serve. Just, here I am, Lord, send me. I mean, let me preach you gospel. Let me hear, let's do this. I'm going to teach every class you've got. And I'm going to, and yet somewhere along the way, all of a sudden, that love for the church isn't there anymore. But yet, you'll hear people like that, and here's what they'll say. I love Jesus. I just don't really love the church. I love Jesus. I just don't really love the, the organized religion. I love Jesus. I just don't really love His bride. Right? So often I've witnessed to people that say, well, I'm just as good as old Joe Jack or Jim or that Ed Betty or so forth that's sitting on that pew beside it. Yeah. Right. That's right. That's right. So what would you say is the step for someone to turn and do that again? I would say, like I said, verse 5 gives you the steps. I would say the first thing is that um, we've we got to sit down and have a, have a real good remembering time. Um, remembering where we came from. Remembering... Um, Remembering who we were and who we are and the kind of love and mercy and grace that God shows to us. And then... Um, Go back to Hebrews. We've got to exhort one another while this day. Right. That's exactly right. We've got to keep, keep each other accountable. Right. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence. That's right. To the end. I mean, we've got to keep each other accountable. I agree. I agree. You know, and that's the thing. I think that what this comes down to is that uh, what, what usually happens... Now, y'all can tell me if you've had a different experience. But what usually happens is the flaws of people start coming out. And that happens in the church. We were talking about the honeymoon phase. We are talking about relationships. That happens in relationships. When you first start dating, 
You don't really see a, you don't really see any flaws. Everything's that person is perfect, right? And then somewhere along the way, all of a sudden, you start seeing the the flaws, and the flaws start causing you to not be as merciful or as as graceful. And the same thing happens in the church. I think that you come into the church and the church looks perfect. Uh, the, the, the preaching sounds pretty good. The, the, the singing sounds pretty good. And, and on the surface, everything looks like, yeah, I love this. And so it's easy to love. But what happens when things start getting harder to love? You think? Situations resolve so much. You sit down and talk it out. I'm here to tell you, most times you don't find you can find out what was we really fussing about to get Right, right. Right. Because it can come up and then bites me in the rear end, and I'm just like, I'm mad, and I'm like, I had touch hell on my back. Right. I think that's what he's doing right here is he's, he's um, telling them to start climbing again. Um, maybe they, they're still doing a lot of good things, but they ain't climbing. <laughs> and so I think we see that here too. Right. And you kind of said it a while ago about the love for the church. They're, they're loving their church. Right. But maybe they're not loving Jesus like they were. Yeah. You know, they, well, it goes hand in. They got the legalistic. Yeah. They're still doing these good things. They're still doing these good things. They're, you know, but they just lost that love for sinners. Right. Mm-hmm. Possibly. They're, you know, they still may be loving people in the church. Maybe they lost love for sinners. Or they've lost their focus on Christ themselves because they're they're busy, almost like you know Mary and Martha whenever Jesus was at the house. Yeah. There, but one was just staying too busy, right? Even though she still loved Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Right. You know, she lost her focus. Right. And and I'm kind of looking at the the same situation here, where it went from 
almost a corporate worship to a, a corporation of worship. Well, and that's, that's what I was talking about to begin with, that there are two ways that people interpret it. I believe the two go hand in hand, and I believe you're exactly right. That's right. But so I believe it bleeds over into the fact that um, when your love for Jesus begins to wane and it becomes more of a religion than a real relationship, I guess you could, I guess best way to put it, then um, you tend to start losing love for your for your fellow man too, and it you, and you're not as graceful, you're not as merciful, you're not as long-suffering, you're not as gentle, and so, so on. Alright, well, um, next week... <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. I know. No, I didn't know, I promise. I'm, <laughs> so we'll... Um, next week's a good church too, though. They're all good, but... Um, Next week we got a very persecuted church that, that Jesus has nothing bad to say about them at all. And um, they're one that I think it would be wise to take some time to look at. So next week we'll look at the church of Smyrna and um, see how far we get. Maybe go into Pergamum. Probably not. But uh, we'll, we'll see how far we get. All right. Anybody got anything to say before we close? Um, don't forget Linda and Ralph in the yard show this weekend. That's right. I think they're going to try to start setting up at 11 tomorrow, I think is what she said. I that's what she said. Okay. That flat rock furniture, if anybody wants to run out and help any time over the weekend, they'll, they'll be out there all weekend, I'm sure. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and um, we'll be dismissed. Father, we just thank you tonight for your word. Father, we thank you for your um, uh, Lord where you commend us at. Father, we thank you where you condemn us at. Father, I just pray that, um, Lord, that you would help us to make sure that we, um, we put the first things first and that, um, Lord, we are showing the same kind of mercy and grace toward others that you show toward us, that um, we're truly loving our fellow man, um, and, Lord, we're just serving each other. Father, I pray, God, that, um, uh, Lord, that wherever the areas are that this church lines up with Ephesus, or, the, or us as individuals line up with it. Father, I pray, God, that you would uh, show us how it applies. Father, I pray that um, each one of us would be able to, um, uh, to see what it is that we have forgotten, what it is that we need to remember, what it is that we need to repent of, and the works that we did at first that we're not doing anymore. Father, I pray, God, that you would, um, you would just help us to be able to, to turn it around. And Lord, I pray, God, that, um, Lord, we would understand without it we're nothing. And so, Father, when you say that um, we'll earn eternal life, it's not because we've actually earned it by what we do, Father. It's just that's the evidence of genuine salvation. And so, Father, I pray, God, that you would help us to be able to examine ourselves and be able to, to put it into practice and gain your reward as a result of it. Father, we love you. We just pray that you'd go with us as we go our separate ways and you would just keep us safe. And if it be your will that you gather us back together to next time you see fit. Father, we love you and we praise you and we ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.